Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org slash membership. Today's Torah portion begins a new book of the Torah. By God's grace and with his blessing, we are grateful to begin the book of Shemot, which means the book of names. The title is derived from the first words, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. I like that title because in this book, at least in the first few chapters, the name of God becomes a subject of interest. So we should learn a few things about God's name. In English, we refer to the second book of the Torah as the Book of Exodus, in reference to the story of the Exodus from Egypt, which occupies almost half of the book. By that same logic, we could title it the Book of Redemption. That would perhaps be a better title, because the point of the story is not just that Israel went out from Egypt, but namely that God took them out from Egypt in an act of redemption. So we should learn a few things about the redemption. May it be soon and in our lifetimes. But instead, we're going to talk about politics. I have no natural inclination to do so, but I feel that I would be remiss in my duties and responsibilities if I ignored recent events. At the same time, by now, we have all heard enough ranting from both sides. So, I will try not to rant. Our Torah portion does have something to say about the political situation. The book begins with the story of the passing of a generation. It says, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Exodus 1 verse 6. Commenting on this verse, the Midrash Rabbah says, Though Joseph and his brothers died, their God did not die. That's not just stating the obvious. It's a reminder to every generation. The God who was faithful to the generation of our fathers is also faithful to us and will be faithful to the generation after us. He was, he is, and he will be. Contrast that truth against the administration of a human being who is here today and gone tomorrow. This Torah portion observes two changes in the administration of human government. The Torah says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, Exodus 1.1, signaling a change in administration, which turns out badly for the children of Israel. A few chapters later, the administration changes again, and we read, The Lord said to Moses, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. The new Pharaoh isn't any better than the one before him. But between these two transitions in power, the Torah brings us to Mount Sinai and introduces us to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of the dead, but of the living, whose administration remains unchanged. This is why the Psalms warn us not to place our trust in princes. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. 
Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Psalm 146, 3-6. Or Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I cite these passages with reference to the change in administration taking place in the government of the United States of America this month and in the wake of the trauma from Wednesday's protest at the Capitol. For those who are grieving the end of the current president's administration, let these words be reminders. Put not your trust in presidents, in a human being, in whom there is no salvation. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in presidents. A few prefatory remarks are necessary before I speak about national politics. First of all, I want you to know that whatever political party you support, I am not on your side. I am not on your team. I don't support your guy. I do not endorse your political platform or your social agenda. I lean neither left nor right. I have my own opinions and convictions, to be sure, but they remain completely unrepresented by either party. I do my civic duty, I cast my vote, and I leave it there. As I have said before, I am about the politics of the kingdom of heaven. I understand that many of you who are listening to me today have deep political allegiances and feel passionate about them, and you are eager to persuade others for the cause of truth and justice. I can sympathize with that. When I was younger, I felt the same. But even then, I have never used my position as a teacher nor the venues in which I have been a teacher to advance a political agenda, nor have any of the elders or teachers in this community. This is not a matter of official policy. It's just the culture of our community. As the saying goes, I don't have a dog in the fight or a horse in the race. We are utterly distracted by the kingdom and the glory of King Messiah, so much so that the things of earth grow strangely dim. Moses had political problems. He tried political activism, using the means and methods of this world and flesh and blood for the sake of truth, justice, and the liberation of his oppressed people. He thought that he would be a liberator and redeemer, and that the people would recognize the justice of his cause and heed his leadership. Instead, he ended up with blood on his hands and the people rejected him. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Moses fled from Egypt, and that was the end of his very short career as a political activist and leader. He had to flee to escape the wrath of the king. He was done with politics. Forty years later, he met God on Mount Sinai, and the Lord told him to go back to Egypt. Moses was now full of objections. He had already tried that. It didn't work. He said, people won't listen to me. Why should they believe me? Pharaoh won't listen to me. Then God said, let me tell you who I am. I am Hashem, the God of your father Amram, and the God of your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the name by which I will be known. And he said, I am that I am, or we might translate it, 
I will be as I will be, which is understood to mean past, present, and future. I'm the previous president. I'm the current president. I'm the next president. I don't change. This threefold name of God is on the lips of the angels in the book of Revelation as they declare honor and glory to the God who is, who was, and who is to come. This threefold designation of God's eternal being corresponds to the threefold acclamation of his attribute of holiness as we declare along with the seraphim, Holy, holy, holy. Holy who is, holy who was, holy who will be. God is the king now and forever. And he has vested the authority of his name in his son, who has been granted the name above all names. So at the name of Yeshua, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and kings will come trembling and prostrate themselves before the king of kings, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord said, tell them that I am sent you. Tell them that. If I could persuade you to take a political position, like everyone else in the game, I would try to persuade you to adopt the same perspective as my own, namely a political agnosticism which reserves such allegiances for Yeshua alone. As Paul says, I urge you, imitate me as I imitate Messiah. At the very least, I urge you not to bring your politics into the community of faith. Don't use your fellowship with your brothers and sisters to advance your political ideologies because that is an abuse of the privilege of the fellowship of the saints. Consider this. We have to put up with you and you have to put up with us. We have to love you and you have to love us. If you were a secular person campaigning for a political agenda that I objected to, I could just avoid you, push you away, or sever fellowship with you. But as my brother or sister in the faith, I don't have that luxury. So it's an abuse of the privilege of being a member of the body of Messiah to use the community of faith as a place to advance a political agenda. The same is true for multi-level marketing endeavors. <laughs> I consider it an abuse of the body of Messiah to use the community of faith to build your downline. Likewise, with non-conventional medical agendas, miracle cures, homeopathic solutions, and anti-vaccination missionaries, don't mistake the kindness and tolerance of the community as a license to propagate quackery. The same is true for the propagation of conspiracy theories. It's an abuse of the body of Messiah to use the fellowship of the brothers and sisters to agitate for your favorite conspiracy theories. Using the pretense of a Bible study or a prayer meeting for the purpose of raising political activism, garnering clients for a multi-level downline, for propagating internet conspiracies, or for teaching theological ideas contrary to the community, is utterly irresponsible. And if I hear about these types of things taking place, I will do my best to dismantle such groups. This is not the place for that. This is the wrong community for that type of behavior. There are other Hebrew roots and Messianic groups where that type of behavior is welcome and normal, but not at Beth Emmanuel. In any case, 
We have 2,000 years of church history to demonstrate that every time you mix politics and religion, it turns toxic. The genius of the United States of America is that it is a secular government and not a religious government. That's the reason Jews fled to the United States to take shelter here. That's why my Swedish ancestors came to this country. They were fleeing state-sponsored persecution under a Christian government. The genius of the founders of this country was to separate religious and theological convictions from governance, thereby making this land safe for religious expressions like our own. Messianic Judaism, for example, as we know it and practice it, could never have arisen under a Christian government, and every time it attempted to do so, it was stomped out by the governing authorities. But in America, it flourished. Messianic Judaism is an American phenomenon. You may be thinking, that's precisely why we need to take action now, before we lose our religious freedoms. No, it isn't. Today, we have religious liberties and freedoms. Perhaps that will change tomorrow. Ironically, the fastest way to make sure those religious liberties and freedoms are stripped from us is to invoke them in the name of political causes. Never forget that the wheel turns, that the pendulum swings, that what goes up must come down. You see, I told you I'm not on your side. All summer, since the pandemic started, really, I've been pleading with you as a community not to get swept up in the rhetoric and hatred that's tearing the country apart. Look back over the weekly teachings and you'll hear the same message coming from me again and again. Do not get pulled into this. Most of you have heeded my warnings, and if you have heeded those warnings, I'm pretty sure you have a lot more Shabbat Shalom today than those of you who have remained politically invested. How have we reached this point? Under the stress of the political acrimony, the pandemic, the summer riots, the election, our country seems to have gone insane. It's a sickness. It happens to a society the same way it can happen to an individual. The collective consciousness of the United States of America has collectively gone off the deep end. Whether or not we will recover our wits remains to be seen. But every one of us has the option to unplug from it. We do not need to be swept along with it. This is not a Packers-Vikings game. It's something far more dangerous. We live in dangerous times. We are in the birth pangs of the Messiah. Look at the signs. Remember the fallen trumpet, the burning steeple, the fires, the blood, the columns of smoke, the torn flag. We have had ample warning. We can expect to see this kind of divisive thing happening. A lying spirit has gone out over the land. During the birth pangs of the Messiah, people will run after false Christs and false messiahs, and even the elect will be deceived. It reminds me of the story in 1 Kings 22, where the prophet Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice the king? 
that he may go up and fall at remote Gilead. And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. According to Yeshua, during the birth pangs of the Messiah, we will see dissension even in our own households. He says, A man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. During the birth pangs of Messiah, the love of most will grow cold. Yeshua warns us that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Last spring, around Shavuot and the beginning of the Minneapolis riots, I spoke to you about a kingdom divided, and I pleaded with you not to choose sides. I've been persistent about this message because I have recognized the spiritual forces at work in both the left and the right. The lying spirit has been unleashed. Satan is at work influencing both the left and the right. For example, for years now, I've been warning you about the rise of a new anti-Semitism and new political hatreds. Now those things are not even concealed. You have to be careful about what you are dabbling with. If you dig deep enough into the earth, you might unleash a Balrog. In Tokine's Lord of the Rings, the dwarves of Middle-earth dug their mines beneath the earth so deeply in their pursuit of mineral wealth that they unleashed an evil spirit called a Balrog, which had been imprisoned beneath the earth. Earlier this week, I saw a clever meme on the internet in which someone had posted a picture of the Balrog from the Lord of the Rings movie and captioned it, Now you've done it. You've scrolled down so far that you've unleashed a Balrog. Sometimes memes can be profoundly true. If you dig deep enough into the internet, you will unleash Satan. But he does not look like a Balrog. He looks like the truth. He looks like justice. He looks like the side of right. He looks like an angel of light. This last summer, I felt it necessary to write and post on the Beth Emanuel website a refutation of QAnon theory warning you that this theory about a cabal of liberals orchestrating child abductions and abuse is not a new thing. It's the revival of the old blood libels, a deliberate manipulation of the masses with a thinly veiled anti-Semitic agenda beneath a veneer of religious piety. On Wednesday, the whole world saw the mask come off in live images. How many anti-Semitic groups were on display? I watched it live. We saw a who's who of known neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, well-known Holocaust deniers, and white nationalists 
storming the capital. That wasn't Antifa in disguise. And they weren't Republicans either. How did they get there? Well, that's what it looks like when you unleash a Balrog. When you like and follow groups on social media, that's a public endorsement. You're making a statement. You have to think about that, especially if you represent the community and the kingdom. We should not be endorsing political activists who agitate for the overthrow of the government, who celebrate Wednesday's siege of the capital, who cast their lot with anti-Semites and racists, who use skulls or Nazi symbols for their logos. Nor should we endorse the looting and rioting that tore up Minneapolis and most of the nation. But this is what happens when the Balrog is unleashed. Of course people have a right to protest, and I'm all for protesting. But protesters would be a lot more effective if the protesters were first required to learn about Gandhi and to read Martin Luther King before engaging in protest. Our master taught us a new kind of politics, the politics of love. He taught us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to go the extra mile for those who force us to go one, and to love our neighbor as ourself, which is to say, to practice genuine empathy in all of our dealings with others. In this new political system, it's not the mighty who will inherit the earth, it's not the rich or the powerful, it's not the strong or the angry, it's the meek and the lowly who will inherit the land. In this new political system, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's a reckless, extravagant, and radical allegiance to love, and it follows in the footsteps of our master, who chose the path of endurance, perseverance, and suffering over revolution and zealotry. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the nations will hope. Matthew twelve nineteen through 21 In less than two weeks, the new president of the United States of America will be sworn into office. Our biblical obligation to the incoming president is exactly the same as our biblical obligation to the outgoing president. The Bible tells us not to speak evil of the leader of your people. We have had four years of nonstop slander against the president of the United States. I'm certainly not a fan of the current president, but I will be the first to admit that there's been a media agenda to smear him and paint him in the worst possible light. He gave them a lot of material to work with. But it's a matter of biblical obligation for us that we don't speak evil of our leaders. Criticize their policies all you like, but don't slander. Here's a story from the Talmud. When Herod the Great slew the Sanhedrin and put out the eyes of Baba ben Buta, he tested Baba ben Buta to see if he would incite him, if he could incite him to speak evil against, against Herod. King Herod did not trust anyone, and he, 
he suspected that Baba Ben Buddha might be trying to stir up trouble for him, so he decided to test the blind rabbi. One day, King Herod came and sat before Bava. Bava could not see who it was, so Herod disguised his voice and said, Sir, have you seen what this wicked slave King Herod has done? What do you want me to do about it? asked Bava ben Buddha. He said, I want you to put a curse on him. Bava ben Buddha replied with a verse from the Bible that says, Even in your bedchamber, do not curse a king. Ecclesiastes 10.20 With his voice still disguised, King Herod said, But this Herod fellow is not a real king. Bhava Ben Buddha said, It is also written in the same verse, And in your sleeping rooms do not curse a rich man, and Herod is very rich. Besides, even if he is not a king, he is at least a ruler of the people. In another verse it says, you shall not curse a ruler of your people. Exodus 22, verse 28. With his voice still disguised, King Herod said, That verse applies only to a leader who acts as one of your people, but this Herod fellow does not act as one of the Jewish people. So Bava said, I do not dare curse him. I'm afraid that King Herod will hear about it. Herod said, but it is just you and I sitting here. No one else is around. And Bava replied with the verse from Ecclesiastes 10.20, The scripture says that if you curse a king or a rich man, a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. When Herod heard this, he realized how truly righteous and pious Bava and the sages were. He, he said, I am Herod. If I had known that the rabbis were so careful and respectful with their words, I would never have killed them. I have done a terrible thing. What should I do to make it right? Bava said, You have done a terrible thing. By killing the rabbis, you have extinguished the light of the world. As it is written, The lamp is the mitzvah. The light it shines is the Torah. But since you have put out the light of the world, you will have to go and attend to the light of the world. The temple is also the light of the world, as it is written, and all the nations became enlightened by it. Isaiah 2.2 King Herod went away and began to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. The Bible does tell us to pray for those in power over us, those administering the government. I always think about the ironic passage in 1 Peter 2, where he instructs his disciples to honor the emperor. Bear in mind, as I read these words, that Peter wrote this passage only a year or so before being crucified by Nero. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor.
1 Peter 2, 13-17. That's what Peter says about Nero, about the wicked emperor of Rome. Honor the emperor. Donald Trump is not Nero. Joe Biden is not Nero. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the president. Our master also spoke about the Roman emperor. He said, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. Building upon those words, Paul enters into a discussion about government authorities and religious authorities in his day, both of which were no friends to the disciples of Yeshua. Paul said, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Romans 13, 1-7 I certainly don't mean to depress you. I intend to bring you hope for a better tomorrow. Not the tomorrow of Joe Biden, nor the tomorrow of Make America Great Again. I ask you to lift your eyes to the tomorrow of the kingdom of heaven. If you feel inspired toward political activism, pray for the coming of the kingdom and the revelation of Messiah. I wish that we could catch a glimpse of the good that God has in store for the world. If we could see how all these pieces fit together in his great plan and live in the confidence of Bitachon for that bright tomorrow, then we would know the peace that passes all understanding and transcends all turmoil, an unshakable peace which is not based in the past nor in the future, but only in the present moment, as long as it is called today. Because it is derived not from the past administration, nor the future administration, but from the administration that is, that was, that will be. Take on my yoke And learn from me Find rest for your soul